right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. that. You don't got time that. Right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Hey. And on today's show, we're going to talk lots of KU basketball. We got a little bit of KU football in there. Voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney will join us. At 3.40, we got a KU mailbag. So if you have any last-second questions, get them in. Just do KU it. KU mailbag might be my favorite segment of all the segments. Really? Yeah. A I quick power it. ranking, top three. Go. Of segments? Yes. Mailbag. Hey, what's going on over there? <laughs> Which we have one of those today. We have one of those today, yeah. too. <laughs> Good show. Um, and then probably either Case of the Mondays or NFL overreactions. Mm-hmm. Which we unfortunately haven't been able to do lately. We haven't had Monday shows and also our Tuesday shows have just been so stacked because we haven't had Monday shows. <laughs> We've had to catch up on everything. Um, well, yeah. Oh, we, I also like, uh, I, oh, I forgot. Oh, I'm an idiot. Florida Man Mad Libs. Is oh, of course. I got to yeah. be number one. How could you not like it? Yeah. Yeah. Would you have that yesterday? Yeah. So check yeah. it out on the podcast. So fun show today. Before we get into any of it, the fans, the tradition, the glory, there's nothing more thrilling than college football, and it all comes down to the national championship game happening on Monday. Your go-to for betting is DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, and right now, new customers can bet just $5 on college football and get $200 in free bets instantly, win or lose, plus everyone can combine multiple bets for a bigger payout with DraftKings same-game parlays. It's a little sad as I was reading that, and it was like it all comes down to this on the national championship. That's our last college football game of the season. Yep. Yeah, it's devastating. And there's actually two left. We have the FCS on Saturday. I I think we talked about this at one point. The the FCS game is on Sunday, I believe. Which I don't know why they're doing that. But if you remember earlier in the season, it was like, from the KU fan perspective, it's always like you're just dreading (laughs) September to October and then basketball season. Mm -hmm. But then this year it's like, You've had obviously you don't want to that super, yeah. yeah, and then now all of a sudden you don't want to attend. Like, yeah. oh, this is a lot of fun. Like, oh, it's got to end. We've got we've got eight months and three days until K football's home opener. Who's counting? Well, you can bet Not on me. TCU right now plus twelve and a half. We'll have our game picks tomorrow. Over under sixty two and a half. Yeah, that's down from thirteen and a half. I think is what it opened. It up, is. Right? Yeah, my favorite bet is the over. I'll just go with that. I'll okay. save my, my actual yeah. pick for the game for tomorrow. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use code KLWN. New customers bet just $5 in college football and get $200 in free bets instantly. That's code KLWN, only a DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? Getting help is your best bet. Call 800-522-4700. 21 and older, physically present in Kansas. Bonus issued is free bets. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. How about this uh, possible news? Question mark. <laughs> Coming off the top, Jason Bean took to Instagram last night. There's a picture of him in KU football uniform. Was he giving a hook'em sign? I, Is he I saying, I am transferring to Texas? Wait, what? Look at the picture. Both of his hands are doing a hook'em sign. I, hold on. I don't know the picture. And he says in the caption, 
Hate me or love me, I'm still here. Now. Still here, as in still at Kansas? Here? Question mark? Mm -hmm. Picture is him in Kansas. Or, this picture is at the Liberty Bowl. Did they leave him at the Liberty Bowl? He's like, somebody, (laughs) I didn't convert the last play. They left me here. Somebody Somebody come come get me. me. (laughs) Please. Please save me. Um. No, I mean, it sounds like the tide might be turning here, that the expectation over the last few weeks of the season, he celebrated senior day, was that he was going to be gone. But we did have the press conference with Lance Leipold where he was basically like, you know, as of now, it seems like that's the way it's leaning, but he kind of insinuated that, you know, they might try to to do a – basically, you're recruiting a kid. You're being like, hey, come back for another year. I mean, Lance Leipold did make it very clear – with the whole senior day stuff that like there would be some guys that would celebrate that might come back. There might mm-hmm. be some guys that aren't on the senior day list that might be gone, right? Because there was that whole question with Kenny Logan, obviously, who's also coming back. So yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's definitely a great sign, right? Because on one hand, without Jason Bean, you you probably don't make a bowl, do you? No. I mean Well I, I, I mean, will you could say, probably still be at Oklahoma State. Yeah, because you just Ethan ran Basco. all over them. Yeah. So it's easy to be like, well, that was the one win. But, but you like, certainly would not have been as competitive, I don't think. But, yeah, like here's the thing. It's easy to – when you saw how bad the Oklahoma State backups were, Garrett Rangale and uh, – Gunnar Gundy. Gunnar Gundy. Did Gunnar even come into that game? I don't, I don't think remember. he did. Um, I think they just rolled But you saw how bad they were. You saw how bad Oklahoma – Kansas had to play against Dylan Gabriel. But the week before, Oklahoma's backup – couldn't throw at all. They had to run yeah. like Wildcat the whole game against Texas. You <laughs> saw some of these other teams, and that was kind of like Kansas State was was also in the same class as Kansas of having a good backup quarterback, and it led to them having uh, a remarkable season as well. The importance of having a backup so key, and like an the ex- injury question back. is a real question for Jalen Daniels. He's a great quarterback, but he's also a little undersized. He doesn't play behind an Alabama offensive line as good as the KU offensive line was. He puts his body this on season. the line. He puts his body on the line. You know, you, you look at his true freshman season, he got injured. You look at his sophomore season in training camp, he gets injured. You look at his junior year, he gets injured. So it is very important in the style Kansas wants to play, and just based on that, and, and in general, even if you, you had a very durable quarterback, you need a good backup. And so if Lance Leipold has, I mean, this would be as big of a recruiting win for Kansas this offseason as you could imagine. Because I, I do still believe that Ethan Vasco can be a good player for you long term, but that's more long term. And if you're looking at being the backup next year, obviously you're better off with Jason Bean as your well, backup. And forget about the idea of calling him a backup. I mean, he was utilized, even when Jalen was healthy and starting, he was utilized a good amount, right, in different sorts of formations yeah. with him either running or trick plays with him throwing or whatever, right? So it's not like I don't think that him coming back means, oh, you're just going to be the backup. Clearly that means that there's going to be a space for him, I think, within yep. the offense. A package, and, you know, from from his standpoint, why not? You you could get some NIL money, you get extra all this equipment. I, I don't know what he's planning on doing once once he's done, so you never blame a guy if he wants to start his professional career. But um, that, that would be a huge re- retainer for KU football and, and would make you feel a lot better about the depth more, of that quarterback Much position. more secure. Yes, absolutely. Okay, uh, I do have a little KU basketball topic I want to go over now, something that, that I've just kind of been thinking about <clears throat> over the course of this season. What have you been thinking about, Derek? Well, I think about many things, but <laughs> this one specifically, it, this has been a really good Kansas team in terms of the, like, having... I'm trying to think how to how to describe this because it's not going to say it's going to sound kind of clunky, honestly. Okay. But like this is a great collection of not box score guys, 
but winning guys. So hear me out here. Okay. This, this sounds kind of stupid. Um, it's You've had other teams that are like, like for instance, the, the 08 team, right? Where it's like, oh my gosh, Mario Chalmers, NBA player, Darrell Arthur, first-round draft pick, Brandon Rush, first-round draft pick. Uh, you know, you, you have other dudes Sharon like Collins. Darnell Jackson, I think was third-team All-Big 12. Yeah, uh, young Sharon Collins, former five-star pick. Like You have this just oogling and, and awing of talent. You think back to... You know, maybe the 2011 team where you have like the Morris twins and you have uh, all this load or maybe the 2010 team with like Cole Aldridge. And, you know, you have all these guys and you look at this year's team like, yes, of course they have talent. Like Jalen Wilson could go be an NBA draft pick. Grady Dick's going to be a first round pick. Uh, Kevin McCuller might be like a second round draft pick with his defense and versatility. So, like, I'm not trying to say they don't have talent, but just in terms of like the numbers, the jump off the page. When you think of like past stars, so to speak, or some of the better players in KU lore in the time with Bill Self, you think of guys who, hey, he put up 15 points. He put up 10 rebounds per game. You think of all these stats. And, you know, with Jalen, obviously he is putting up stats. And with Grady Dick, he obviously is putting up stats too. But you look down the list here of these other KU players and – Clearly, there are guys that impact winning. Like, Dewan Harris is so valuable. He impacts winning at such a high degree. But, you know, when somebody looks back on his stats in 20 years and goes, what was the fuss? He averaged 8.3 points, 6.5 assists per game. You know what I mean? Or like with KJ, it's like, okay, you're making this big deal that he's impacting winning at a high level as a small ball center who's averaging 9.4 points, 4.5 rebounds per game. Or like, oh, Kevin McCuller, I think Bill Self said last week, like, he is one of the most complete guards that he's gotten to coach. He's averaging 11 points, two assists. Like, you go down the line and look at the numbers, and they're not gaudy numbers, I guess is the way of putting it, but clearly all of those players are really, really good and really valuable and really impact winning. So that's what I mean when I say, I wonder if this is one of the best teams that KU has had or that Bill Self has had of not box score guys but winning guys. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I think it's hard because when you think on Bill Self and, and what he's done as a coach, like this, these are the types of players that he loves. So he's had a lot of them over the course of the years. I mean, if you were really to but go, has it ever been this dive, many? No, I don't. I don't know that it's been this many. But I mean, when you think about Bill Self teams, he usually has at least one or two yeah. of these types of guys on the team. Correct. Right. Where yeah, like. Like, this is just who Bill Self recruits. They just, love Bobby Pettiford. Yeah. No. He's averaging 3.8 <laughs> points and 2.6 assists. And again, I, I there, he's been very valuable. He's helped the team a lot. I'm not trying to, like, poo-poo on that. I'm saying I agree he's been very valuable, but the yeah. stats don't jump off the page, which no, I, is why I I'm, I'm raising I this point. And I, I think it's hard because, uh, again, when you go back, and these are just the types of players that Bill Self gets, man. He just, he just finds a way to find guys that just are gritty, that are just winning guys, right? And it doesn't matter about the stats. It doesn't matter about... I mean, think about it. In Bill Self's 20 years of being at Kansas, he's had two players over average over 20 points per game. Two. Yeah. Right? Like, that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, you would think for a program that's at the level that Kansas is at, you would probably be having more than just two guys over the course of 20 years averaging 20 points per game. Right? And that's just one example. I mean, that just, and even and even a guy like Frank Mason. Like, Frank Mason is kind of the, in the same line of thought as what you're describing before he became the National Player of the Year, right? Like, the, think about the years before, right? Devontae Graham is kind of the same way. Marcus Garrett was prob- is probably the number one box score, not box score, but winning mm-hmm. player, right? In all of Bill Self's history, maybe. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe the way to put it is, because we hear this term all the time in college basketball, glue guys. 
Like maybe this team has more yep. glue guys than we're used to. Now, if you have a lineup of five glue guys, that's not going to work. Yeah, I, yeah. See, I don't think I don't like the term glue guy in terms of this discussion mm-hmm. because glue guy implies that like they're not a winning player. I guess so I think speak. they are. I think a glue guy is, in by definition, a winning player, but it's dependent on being the glue to having like star players, which maybe Grady and Jalen are the stars, and the rest are all glue. I I don't know, but. I, I think that point kind of stands. Um, and, and the fact is, too, like this has also been, if we're having these kind of talks, like one of the better starting lineups that Kansas has had. Now, I'm not saying it's the best. There are some other great starting lineups. Like 2007, 2008, like how are you going to beat that? And that team had <laughs> as good much of depth as any team. That's why it was so remarkably good. It had both. Um, like the 2010, 2011 team, when you have you know Cole Aldridge, you have uh, the Morris Twins. You have like Tyshawn Taylor, Sharon Collins. That's a great starting five. 2011, 2012. Didn't have much depth, but starting five was, was uh, or, or I'm sorry, I'm thinking of 12, 13. Uh, 11, 12, you have the Morris Twins. You have Tyshawn Taylor. Like, again, really good starting lineup. Uh, 2016, 17 would go up there in terms of some of the best just starting lineups. Like, again, a little bit thin on depth, but you have Frank Mason, Devontae Graham, Josh Jackson, Landon Lucas. But, yeah, Svi, uh LeGerald Vick. But like, I I think that I think that this team has one of the best just starting fives of any Kansas team under Bill Self. I mean, it's probably okay. because okay, think it's about definitely it like this. got the best perimeter defense, right? Well, hmm. maybe. I mean, with Grady, you lo- I guess you lose quite a bit there. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's hard. When you have a year with like Marcus Garrett and someone, just because yeah. he does so much, uh, yeah. Devon averaged a lot of steals off him. I don't think he was like a great defender, but he was opportunistic, kind of in the same ilk of, of like Mario Chalmers. Um, I don't want to get back in trouble about the Mario Chalmers thing though. Uh, <laughs> I I don't know because if you just think about it like this, like what does any of the if if you're gonna throw out because again there have been other Kansas teams that are better than this one. But some of those had more depth than this one did, or a better bench. Like, could this one be a better starting five? And to that notion, if you start comparing it across the board, like to any team that you're going to throw out there is saying, this team has a better starting five. Okay, you have to start here. Jalen Wilson's going to be an All-American, right? Yes. He might end up winning National Player of the Year. But that is always a very tough award, and and you never know how it's going to go. But realistically, he should at least be a second-team All-American Right now, he'd be a first-team All-American. Yes. Okay, so now if you narrow down to that, the teams of Kansas that had a starting player who first was a first or second-team All-American, it's it's a lot shorter of a list. You have like, like what three or Frank four Mason, Devontae yeah. Graham in 2018. You have I don't know Thomas Robinson. And you have Marcus Morris. I think he was second-team in 2012. Like there are other ones that that I missed in there, but that that limits down the number a little bit more. And then. If we're saying, I don't know who Kansas' second best player would be, Dewan Harris. I don't know that Dewan Harris will get the award recognition for it, but no. if if we're picking players, for instance, at his position across the country, he's probably one of the first five point guards taken, right? So now yeah. you're saying you have one of the best players in the country and Jalen Wilson. You have one of the top five point guards. You have Kevin McCuller, who is one of the top five perimeter defenders. Dewan's maybe in that Discussion too for being a top five perimeter defender. Yeah, uh, Kevin McCuller is probably also one of the first wings that gets taken, like one of the top five or ten, just because of his versatility. Grady Dick, you could argue, is the best shooter 
in the country. Like, they have a lot of superlatives in this starting lineup. You could say that, yeah, K.J. Adams isn't the best center, but is he the best small ball center in the country? I don't know. Maybe. Certainly you up think, there. You think K.J. Adams has the highest motor of center guys? Sure, let's do it. Let's throw it out there. <laughs> and and I think, like, when you look at it this way, too, Dwan Harris is a top 10 player in the Big 12. Again, I don't know that the awards will bear that out with the stats, but I think value-wise, he is a top 10 player. Jalen Wilson, clearly a top 10 player. At the very least, you have two of you, the top 10 in the Big 12. And you figure Grady Dick will probably get in that conversation. I was going to say. Because of it, just because, I mean, how can, if, if you're shooting 45% in the Big 12 play, how can you not be yes. in the top 10? And then, which, which he's, That's not what he's doing right now, but that I mean, that could be the level that he gets. No, to. no, you're 100% right. If you're averaging 15 a game on 45% from three and you're, you're a really good rebounder, you have to, you have to be in, in that there. discussion. Like, you just have to. And then Kevin McCuller. If he gets up to 12, 13 points per game, and you're known as one of the most versatile and maybe the best defensive player in the country, and you're also a good passer who rebounds well, you could make an <laughs> argument that's a top 10 player in the Big 12. So basically what I'm saying here is you in, could twist it yep. to say Kansas has four of the top 10 players well, in the Big 12. In a year where every Big 12 team is in the top 40 in yes, Ken Palm right now. Yes. You probably have three yeah. or four of the top ten players yes. in the league. And what is what is by far, by far, the best league in the country. Yes. And the awards won't bear that out because it is numbers based. But if you're doing a draft, if you're doing a draft and the teams are just taking players, you could make an argument that you have four of the top 10, 12, 15, whatever it is. And how many other years could you say that about a Kansas starting five? You could probably say it about 2007, 2008. You could probably say it about 2006, 2007 with Kansas. There's some other years in there you could say it as well. But my point is, this one is in that same discussion as some of those other great starting lineups for KU. Now, the bench, they certainly got to work on it this year. That could be a bit of a bugaboo. But the starting lineup has really carried you to this point, which where we are at this point, you're a top-five team in the country, you're one of the elite teams in college basketball, and to this point in the season, we're going to have a mailbag question about this. You might actually be better off than you were last year, but we'll get to that Uh later in the show. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We uh, have some audio we'll share for you on the other side. Brian Haney will join us after that. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Derek Johnson with Nick Springer and joined once again by the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney. You'll be able to hear him next on Saturday against West Virginia. You can hear it here on KLWN and our sister station, 105.9 KISS. Tip-off scheduled for 5 o'clock. Um, something we were talking about in the open here. This is kind of a, a weird question, so bear with me here. But is this Kansas team one of the best collections of, like, not box score guys, but winning guys that Self has had? Because you think about all the players they have that could classify as, like, glue guys, like Dewan Harris, K.J. Adams to a certain extent, Kevin McCuller sort of. Like, they have a lot of guys that maybe at the end of the season might only be averaging – eight, nine, ten points per game, and it's not going to jump off the stat sheet, but we know all of those players can be really, really impactful players to winning. So uh, I, I don't know. What do, you, what do you kind of think about that idea that this is one of the better teams that KU has had, not necessarily in terms of the NBA talent or the NBA draft picks, but just having like the guys who win games without it showing up in the box score? Well, it doesn't exactly roll off the tongue, does it? No. It's the best team with the most non-box <laughs> yes. score guys. But having said that, once again, Derek, you've nailed it. You, you hit it right on the head, man. I completely agree. 
And, and I thought about that with regard to all the little things that Harris and, and McCullough do. Uh, but then when you add in all the things that KJ Adams does as well, and, and now Bobby Pettiford off the bench and, and yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing because really you had that ultimate does the little things candidate already in Harris. And then you added the best example of that from one of your biggest rivals in McCullough. And so it's like, you got two non-box score does the little things kind of guys. And if you listen to the broadcast on Tuesday, I made that exact point about, I want to say it was the end of the first half. Harris got back and, and stopped what could have been a breakaway. And it, it didn't go down as a block or a steal, but did just enough in a non-tangible statistical way to save two points. And, and it doesn't get documented anywhere, but how many times a game does he do that kind of stuff for you? And you added the guy that used to be Mr. Glue guy, do all the little things, not the box score from Texas tech in Kevin McCullough. So it's, it's like having two of those plus, all these other examples. So I, I completely agree. And it's neat because on the same team, when we're talking about those factors, you've also got a guy that several ESPN analysts said is the midseason wooden award winner. And you've got a guy that, that could be a, a very high first round draft pick as well. And Grady Dick eventually. So um, you've got the star power on top of the glue guy, non-box score guys. And maybe that's the best way to put it all together. When you got, a couple of the high-profile guys, and then a lot of guys that just make winning plays because that's obviously what it took last year in winning it all down in New Orleans, and that's what it'll take this year in Houston, too. At this point in the season, I think you've got all 10 of the Big 12 teams in the top 40 in Ken Palm. Baylor and Texas both have early conference home losses. Do you think it's realistic that Kansas could maybe claim the Big 12 title with only 11 or 12 wins in conference this season? That's what Bill was talking about on our pregame the other day. I referenced the, the tweet that had come out at the start of the week about the you know, top 10 remaining strength of schedules for the 10 Big 12 teams, and how crazy is that? And he said, you know, one of the uh, algorithm, you know, metric system, you know, uh, projections that he'd seen and he didn't know where to quote it from had us going 12 and 6 and winning in the league. And usually it takes, you know, 14 and 4 or, or maybe a little better. And that's certainly a possibility. Um, I, I hate to set the bar that low uh, because I, I feel like we can still probably go 8 and 1 in our home games. And we've already got one road win out of the way. You always like to, to finish just above 500 on the road. Coach Self said today in his press conference, in these league road games, you set out to win half of them. Well, we play an odd number of league games uh, on the road, nine. And so you set out to win five of them. And so if we, if we went eight and one at home, which allows you a little margin for error, and, and found a way to win just over half of our, our road games, that's still 13-5. and five. And, and I think that absolutely wins the league in a year where the league has this much parity and is this good, one through ten. Uh, could they win it with 12? I, I suppose folks are saying that. Um, but you might have to share it if that was the case, and we don't like to share anything around here. So we'll see. But it's a good point, and it's one worth asking. That's certainly one he's considered. Um, but even though we could just as easily be 0-2 right now, the fact that we aren't and we have a chance to get two of our tougher perennial road trips out of the way early and potentially be 3-0 and after Saturday if they take care of business, you get to that point and you're like, yeah, why not win more than 12? Why not get 13? But, but the days of, of going 14-4, and 15-3, and three, this doesn't appear to be one of those seasons unless injuries or something else sets in because 
teams that we had pegged for lower in the league have have ascended much much higher. Baylor, who was picked to win the league, is zero and two right now. Texas just fired its coach today, and they're one and one, and they're still number six in the country. And the point is, there's a lot of talent that's in the middle or bottom of the Big Twelve standings one weekend um, that, that is still going to have a say in this thing. And then there's there's talent that's two and zero right now that nobody thought would be that high. Um, that it's going to be even tougher than we thought. So, yeah, I, I think uh, 13 and 5 is still kind of the number in my eyes that I think is realistic to shoot for, but maybe it is a year that the 12 is enough. We'll just have to see. Okay, second part to that question. Let's say hypothetically Kansas does win the – it's a crazy year in the conference. Let's say Kansas does win it with 11 or 12 wins. Is that good enough then for them to be a one seed in March, you think? I do. Yeah, I do because – the, the net rankings are so high on the league, and, and the, the quality of wins and the strength of schedule will be such because their non-com was as good as it was, and you faced so many projected NCAA tournament teams and, and wound up you know, with just one loss. We'll see what the Kentucky road trip factors into that. That might be important in your hypothetical of still getting the one seed based on how you did there because you'd be talking about a team that, under your hypothetical, would have seven league losses, um, who knows what happens in the Big 12 tournament in Kansas City. You have one non-con loss, maybe two, depending on the Kentucky game. Hard to get a one seed if you're you know, on the nine-loss line. But you know, we saw some of those old Big East conference days when, when they just had a juggernaut of a conference, and, and they're throwing haymakers every night, beating each other up, and you'd still have national title contenders emerge uh, despite you know, all the carnage within the league that sometimes happened to the best team. But to me, the winner of this league should be a one seed, um, and especially when you look at where the contenders to win this league were at through December. I mean, our league was really, really good in non-conference play when you talk about an 84% winning percentage. That leads the nation. They were 119 in non-con games. So the November-December work has been done. Seeds have been sown. Now, if you go out and, and win a, a meat grinder of a league as a team that went, you know, eleven and one or ten and two in an icon, that should be enough in my estimation. I mean, especially in this wide open year of college basketball, because losing is going to continue to happen with the other teams around the country too. I mean, Purdue can speak to that this week. UConn can last week, so I think it'd be enough. Absolutely. I've been asking. It just would. Oh, god. It just would. It just would look a little different on Selection Sunday if you had like a nine-loss team as a one seed. But I, I think we'd understand mm-hmm. as good as this conference is going to be. Well, I'm trying to think too. The 2018 team, do they have seven? Maybe, uh, but that's that's still another two after that. Uh, we're yeah. talking with Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I've been asking our guest this week, just kind of this this theme question. You've seen completely different sides of Kansas this year, and this isn't totally new to basketball. It really is just kind of a game of runs no matter what team, but we've seen them be down 15 at half to Oklahoma State. We've seen them dominate a second half against Oklahoma State. We've seen them get down 13-5 to against Tech and then dominate the rest of the first half. Uh, We've seen games where they've looked unstoppable. We've seen games like Tennessee, so uh, you have seen a little bit of the up and down there, and the question that I've been asking is what to you, and I'm curious if you have a similar answer to some of our other guests, is the biggest difference that has led to those differing results with how different they have been? Oh, wow. Great question. Gosh, I'd have to, to go back and, and look at the ebb and flow of, of the highs and lows there. Um, yeah, Obviously, we've had some games where we've been able to 
score off our defense and get a lot of transition points, the points off turnovers, and and we, we just so aggressively got the ball up on the other end so quickly. It's what every opponent coach always says about Kansas and prepping for Kansas. Yeah, they talk about Jalen Wilson and they talk about how great Bill Self is, but they talk about how we push the ball and get it downhill and get it up on the other end so quickly. And so I think on our best days, not only have the three ball three balls fallen for Kansas and, and we've shot it well, like this team is built to have to do, but we've also scored quickly with a punch in the mouth right after we took the, the you know the ball basically. Um, and, and to me, those are some of the key factors when you really see Kansas stretch it out and puff it up. When I think back to Columbia in the first half, when we were just running away with it, uh, we were turning defense into offense at a really high level and hitting them in the mouth super fast on the other end. Uh, and, and it was coming from, from all, all factors, you know. When you get you know, KJ adding in what he can do on top of the Grady and, and Jalen game in, game out type stuff, holy moly, you know, how dynamic does this team look? And obviously we can't count on five threes from one, you know, but maybe twice in a season it hadn't happened until – Tuesday night ever, but you know when you're getting that type of productivity out of your fourth and fifth scoring options, it shows you what a difficult team to scout and defend Kansas can be because you can put most of your eggs in the basket of shutting down the Wooden Award candidate and Jalen Wilson or making it tough on the catch for Grady Dick, who could be freshman of the year. Um, you could put more eggs in the basket of making sure McCullough doesn't beat you. But when you've got KJ and, and DeJuan doing what they've done these first two conference games, man, does that make Kansas dynamic. But, but I'd say when we're at our best, you know, it, it's the, the quick hitters off of defense, which, which sounds like a, a cop-out of an answer because you're putting both sides of the floor um, into one. But it, that really is when we're most imposing. And, and for a Kansas team that loves to drive it, you know, Jalen Wilson's not a play-above-them kind of guy, but he is a get-out-and-go-and-push-it guy. When we can do that off of stops on the other end, that's when you see Kansas hit the opposition with the 14-2 to two runs and the, and the game-blown-open type stretches where we just flip a game on its ear because we turn defense into offense in a snowball piling-up-on-you kind of way. Yeah, it's similar. A lot of the other guests mentioned uh, energy as kind of their answer, and, and it kind of relates to some of the stuff you're saying with you know, physicality and defense and, and creating some of those things to lead out. So I, I just think it's kind of interesting because you have seen kind of the the Jekyll and Hyde, so to speak, of, of the two ways about it, but so far so good for Kansas. Uh, next matchup is West Virginia on Saturday. Pre-game going to be 3.30, tip-off 5 o'clock. This is Bill Self's worst road record among the different Big 12 venues right now. Certainly West Virginia's had a lot of good teams as they seem to have this year. What are your thoughts on on this matchup with the Mountaineers? While I give you that, can you tell me where, where Oklahoma State is off the top of your head? I don't have it in front of me, but those are perennially you know, the, the two that we think about the most, that we've had the most difficulty going into. So I'd, I'd love to know the percentages on those two. Obviously, you know, Huggy's got this team competing really hard, and they typically get their first couple of road games out of the way while students aren't in session uh, because Big 12 scheduling-wise, because they've had the, the longest stretch to travel geographically, a lot of times they'll start out the year with a couple of road games, and that, that's perceived by some to be an advantage for them because the students aren't around. But if you think about it, it's also very difficult with or without students to have your first two league games be on the road. And it's not always that 
it, but that, that's been their reality this year and, and, and a lot of years. And it's a two-possession game. They lose at K-State, who we found out is way better than we thought they would be. And, and it's a game that, that was right there for the taking at Oklahoma State, who you know could just as easily be 2-0 and right now. And so they, they've got a couple of tough losses. They're going to be very hungry or, or thirsty, as self-termed it in his press conference today. I love to see some of the transfer pieces fitting in right away, like Stevenson has paced him at 14 a game and is shooting a three-ball really, really well at 45%. We don't have to remind Kansas fans about Trey Mitchell and what he can do. Still thinking about his, uh, his banked-in three in Austin a year ago. But he stepped in and, and done some really nice things right away, going for 13-5 and five for these guys and, and hitting them at a high clip from beyond the perimeter at 39% too. So they've got unfamiliar faces like Matthews and company, but I think Hug's ability to um, you know, add some immediate impact veteran pieces has made them much more formidable than what I think they were for the bulk of last year where there was a little bit of talk of, you know, as, as West Virginia lost a step, so to speak. And, and to me, this program, though 0-2 right now, uh, is, is going to prove to be, you know, a, a very good opponent with a lot of wins on their home floor. To me, winning in Morgantown, winning in Lubbock, these are like, to use a golf analogy, it's like parring the, the number one and number two handicap holes where the rest of your field is going to probably bogey. So, so to have a chance to get a couple of these out of the way in, in the first week and a half, potentially with a couple of wins, would really be a leg up, especially with that formula to 13 wins that we were talking about earlier on Nick's question. If you're trying to get five roadies, and you told Bill Self, that two of those five road wins were in Lubbock and Morgantown in the first 10 days of the season, or eight days, I guess, man, he'd take that in a heartbeat. So that's what we have you know, within grasp here coming up on Saturday night. Uh, by the way, I believe it is seven and eight in Stillwater. I believe that's the record there. So uh, both are under 500, but the West Virginia one, I believe by percentage, would be a little bit worse. Yeah, and, and man, the, the ones we have won, um, sometimes you really had to grind it out. I remember Devontae's senior year. I want to mm-hmm. say it was the, the 2018 season. The, the call was something like, the Jayhawks back from the dead. Because we, we were down 15 <laughs> and went on this huge run. And everybody thought we were we were dead dead meat there. And uh, like Lazarus, we rose up and, and, and made it happen. But uh, definitely excited to see what this Saturday night's going to look like and then get home for a little bit. And Man, if, if Baylor and Texas keep piling up losses, uh, and obviously, you got to start worrying about TCU and, and others like K State. But man, it'd be nice to get a, a two or three game cushion and, and play from out in front a little bit. That might be wishful thinking or, or getting too far ahead of ourselves here. But that's the way it's it's taken shape with the Bears, the preseason picks to win it. Currently at zero and two, and Texas obviously all kinds of turmoil, which I'm sure you've spent a, a good amount of your show today talking about. He is Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks. You can hear him on the call on Saturday's game against West Virginia and throughout the rest of the season. Brian, appreciate the time as always, man. Safe travels to Morgantown. And before we let you go, a word from Nate Miller. Well, real quick, how's Nick Springer's New Year's resolution of staying away from fast food going? Oh, it's been great. I have not done anything this week. I'm in the clear so far. Now, we're we're five days in, you know, so I don't want to get too cocky, but we're doing good so far. Because we've got cameras footage that shows you sneaking across the parking lot to Sonic the other day. So I don't know. Dude, they've got this new, like, steak uh, grilled cheese, man. i got to try that. I'm telling you. Cheat day. Cheat day coming. Cheat day coming. Cheat day coming. Keep an eye on this guy, all right?
Yeah, Nate Miller, man, I'll tell you what, such a good dude. He contributes to the Mountain Classic every year, and, and he's also dishing out great financial advice for anybody willing to listen. They'd love to sit down with you and take a look at your current investments. If you're just starting up your portfolio, they'd love to talk with you as well. But set you on a path to uh, the best financial security and long-term viability you could possibly have. Check them out today at MillerRetirementGroup.com. That's MillerRetirementGroup.com. And uh, we'd love to, uh, to, to do business with you. They certainly would at the Miller Retirement Group. Guys, thanks so much. And hopefully we'll uh, talk to you next week about a 3-0 and Jayhawk basketball team. I guess by the time we, we talk next Thursday, we could possibly be 4-0. Yeah. So let's see if these Jayhawks can play from out in front this year in the Big 12. Thanks again, Brian. That was Brian Haney. Cue the disclaimer. Brian is a paid spokesperson, not a client. Brian does not endorse, and all individuals should make their own evaluation of the firm's investment advisory and insurance services. Investment advisory services offered only by duly registered individuals through AE Wealth Management, LLC. Thanks to Brian for hopping on the show here with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. One hour down, two to go. We have our KU mailbag next. If you want to ask any last-second questions, get them out now. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Are you looking for the perfect destination for your next social or corporate gathering? Venue 1235 has you covered. They're located right off I-70, five minutes from downtown Lawrence, a large climate-controlled event space with a catering kitchen, private suite, and a covered patio with Venue 1235. We got another KU mailbag today. I'm excited for this one. Got a couple last-second questions to add in there. We got uh, a good amount of questions here, so let's see if we can get all get all through them. All right. All right, the first one is from Scott. At what point does breakfast become brunch, and at what point does brunch become lunch? I would specifically like Nick's take on this matter. Okay, so, I did some very, very, very extensive research wow. on this subject. I mean, would you like to go even further into dive. Liner? Liner oh, and Liner? dinner. Okay, yeah. Okay, so first Where's of all, second lunch in there. <laughs> second what breakfast. About you know, afternoon tea. Second dinner. Uh, you know, midnight afternoon. snack. Yep, yep, yep. yep. Okay, exactly at midnight. I don't think so. But, okay, <laughs> to the question, at what point does brunch become lunch? Okay, so in my mind, brunch can start at 10 a.m. After 10 a.m., you are clear for takeoff on brunch, okay? <laughs> Anything before 10, that's just breakfast. You're not fooling anybody. You're just eating breakfast. 10 a.m., you can have brunch, right? I think brunch reasonably can go until 1, but here's what I will say about that. You have to start the brunch by, like, 12 or 12 30 but if it continues until one it's fine but you can't start brunch at one o'clock you see what i'm saying so like probably like 12 30 is probably the latest you could start brunch i think the most ideal brunch time is around 11 ish right like for instance there if you said hey let's go to brunch on sunday morning i say and you don't say <laughs> a time and i say okay great in my mind i'm thinking oh, okay 11 o'clock that's uh -huh. what i'm thinking so i think 11 o'clock is the perfect time for brunch you can start it as early as 10 i would say and I would say you can't start any later than probably 12 or 12.30. Mm -hmm. But if it carries on into like 1-ish, you're probably still in the clear for it being brunch. So I, I think this is pretty good here. The only thing I want to add, and I'm curious your thought on this. <laughs> I think okay. part of brunch isn't just about the time. I think it's about the food. Because if I say, if I say, hear me out. If I say, let's go to brunch, and I order cereal at 10.30... That's not brunch. First that's of all, breakfast, what restaurant right? is serving cereal? You've never been to a restaurant that serves cereal? It happens all the time. I no. think it's stupid because it's like, I'll just go buy the box of cereal I've for less than I'm going to I've never even been to a place that has cereal. Oh, absolutely. A bunch of places what? have it. Um, so nonetheless, 
if you go somewhere or you're like, okay, what if, what if just in your hypothetical, since you've never been somewhere that does that, somebody's <laughs> like, I'm going to host a brunch. Okay. And you come and they're like, what would you like? And you see a box of cereal and you say that that's not, you're not eating I think brunch. cereal you, as like a side is No, is no, as your fine. meal. You're only no, eating no, no, cereal. No, 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 no. Then you can't. At that point, not, you're that saying you're having no, breakfast. That's, at that yeah, point. that doesn't count. So that's, it, that's not even breakfast. That's just like a snack. That's not even. Get but, out of here. But if you do that, and then the flip side is, if to have brunch, if you go to brunch at, at 12 and you order a hamburger, that is lunch. That is not brunch. But if you order like an um, egg sandwich... That is brunch. I think the yeah, food I mean, matters. Maybe. Here. I think the food absolutely matters. Maybe. So then I would say after twelve thirty to one ish, you have officially entered lunch. Then you're at lunch. So from ten. So if if we're saying what time you start the brunch, from ten to twelve thirty ish, that's brunch. That's mm. that's my take. Okay. After that, after that, you can have lunch. I also yeah. I also don't think you can officially have lunch till eleven. What do you mean? I think anything oh, like before places. eleven is breakfast. Just in well, no, general. but the, so but the ten to eleven time period is brunch. But it could, it could also be, be breakfast. It could also be breakfast. Yes, but I, it's probably but it more likely lunch. lunch. It can be I, breakfast. I don't or brunch. Think, it cannot be lunch. I don't. Uh, yeah. Okay. Fine. Sure, okay. Fine. Whatever. <laughs> Great. This well, most from, places don't even serve <laughs> lunch until eleven, anyways. Yeah. Exactly. So you don't even have the option. They agree with me. Okay. Sure. Great. If you have, <clears> you know. Uh, I don't know. You make some spaghetti at 10 in the morning. It's just a weird breakfast. Sorry. Jayhawk for life. <laughs> Do you think KU could beat the worst team in the NCAA this year playing four versus five? KU, obviously, the team four v five. Okay, first of all, I love that he clarified that KU, obviously, would be the team. Yeah, wait, wait. Can we go the other, other <laughs> way with this real quick? Kansas is playing five on four. Okay, some very, very extensive win? research was also gone into this question. As of right now, 4.10 p.m. Central Time. January 5th, 2023. The worst team in Ken Palm at 363. IUPUI. They got 363 in Ken Palm. They're the worst team. They are 3 and 12. Iowa State beat them by 49. Drake beat them by 32. Southern Indiana beat them by 13. Their three wins Texas AM Commerce, which this is their first year in D1. They were previously a D2 school. Spalding. No, not the basketball company, the school, I guess. I don't even know where Spalding is. They're not D1, though. And Franklin College, also not D1. They are the worst team in college basketball. Now, I think, and this this wasn't specified in the question, so I'll just ask this to you, Derek. I think it's important as part of this question to consider which KU starter would you remove yeah. to play four on five? So if you're playing four on five, things could get hectic. You have to have DeWan out there. Yes, I would think so. You have to have Jalen Wilson. He's your best player. Yes, to score. Yep. You probably everything need Grady else is negotiable. Shooting. I think you do need Grady, but he doesn't right. play defense, so maybe not. That certainly maybe hurts. Get away you. with not because using yeah, Grady. That, that's part of it too. Because on one hand, if they have an extra defender, it's going to be really, really hard. Well, because uh, obviously, and four on five, I assume you'd have to play a zone defense, right? You can't play man. That's man a good point. Be a man open. Yeah, so I guess you're playing zone anyway. So maybe that's a better re- better reason to play Grady. Could be. Because if you, if you get rid of that part and then you do need the floor spacing because otherwise if they can if they can condense the floor and they have one more guy than you that kills you. So yeah, okay. I think we've so talked about Grady. You have to play zone. You're playing Grady. Yep. So now it's between Kevin or KJ. Kevin and, obviously uh, is very know. versatile, but KJ can do a lot, man. Either way, I think the answer to this question is yes. I think KU could beat IUPUI playing four on five. 
IUPUI lost to uh, Iowa State by 50. Yeah, well, 50. remember the, the Colin Sexton game at Alabama. I think it was against Minnesota. They were yeah, playing three on five. The, both, both teams' benches got ejected mm-hmm. for fighting. And then, yeah, Bama had, like, literally three players. And Bama, like, came back. Yeah. I, they didn't end up winning the game, but they came back. So I think that, yes, they do win this game. Yeah, I think they would win, too. I think they went through. I think it's a close game. Well, okay. Also, I had, I just realized this. I didn't consider this. So, if they're playing four on five, they could still sub in guys. So, it's not like... So, I guess our conversation of you'd have to get rid of McCuller or KJ, you wouldn't have to get rid of them. They would just be your first guy off the bench. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah, you just have to play with one of them. Uh, but I do think I would I would pick Kevin if you had to. As like your starting... Versatility. As like your starting four. Yes, yes. And, and then, then KJ, KJ off the bench. The bench. Yeah. Okay. But if they, have a, if they have a big man... Then probably you lean KJ, even though Kevin's very versatile. I like that question, though. Okay, KU would win, though. Frank, is the 2023 KU basketball squad on uh, January 4th statistically better than the... This is when he asked the question. 2022 National Championship squad was on January 4th. Are they proportionally better given this year's field versus last year's? So that's a good good, uh, part of the end of the question to bring up. Because, for instance, the reason that the 2020 team was thought of as being so dominant for Kansas. Yes, that team was very good, but it was more about, to the competition, that team was leaps and bounds ahead of everyone else. If you play that team against, you know, maybe another, like maybe the 2011 Kansas team, like maybe the 2011 Kansas team is better, but maybe there were more teams that were up there. So, like, it's also about who you are in the competition. For instance, again, last year, last year's Kansas team, was not a top five Bill Self Kansas team. I mean, it was a top five Kansas season because of what you accomplished. But in terms of if you're just rolling out that Kansas team versus another in a best of seven, like last year's is not top five. But compared to the competition, not as many dominant teams. That's important to bring up. Now, I will say, if we look at it on January 4th, it's a little incongruent as part of the question. In 21-22, they went 12-1. and They were 1-0 and in Big 12 play. This year, as of January 4th, 13-1, 2-0 in Big 12 play. It's because the calendar was a little different last year to where their second Big 12 game came a little bit later. So I think uh, just to, I, I know the, the question was specifically asked about January 4th, but just for the sake of these comparisons being more equal, I would like to just instead say compare each team through 14 games. Okay. So if we do that, last year's team was through 14 games. 12 and 2, 1 and 1 in Big 12 play. This year's team is 13 and 1 and 2 and 0 for Big 12 play. Check mark there. Okay. Last year's team through 14 games, their one loss was to Dayton, who ended up being the number 45 team in Ken Palm that year. This year's loss is to the number two team right now in Ken Palm. Clearly a better loss. Tennessee. Okay. Yep. Yep. Last year's team through 14 games had four Ken Palm top 65 wins. So four wins against a team in the top 65 in Ken Palm. This year, they have eight. They've doubled it up. Wow. Last year had one Ken Palm top 35 win. This year, they have five. They've quintupled it. I like that. Last year, at this time, they were ranked fifth on Bart Torvik, second on offense, 48th on defense. This year, they're sixth on Bart Torvik, 11th on offense, 21st on defense. But go so I, I think going through this, the resume much better this year, the record better this year. But if we go back to the compared to competition thing, last year's team was only down less than a point to the top four 
in Bark Torvik, and they were less than two points to number one, whereas this year's team is down almost four points from first place and down almost three points to the top four. So they were closer to the top of the best of college basketball last year at this time, but this year's team has been better to this point, if that makes sense. Now, if we look at it statistically, like this team's averaging five less points per game. They're giving up two less. Uh, This year's team is averaging... um, shooting the ball a little worse. They're actually shooting a little better from three. That's comparing it through 14 games at both seasons, not this year to the end of last year, but through 14 both times. Little worse as a free throw shooting team. Little better as a rebounding team per game, but little worse in rebound margin because they play at higher tempo. Um, They're a little better as an assist team, a little better as an assist to turnover team, and they are much better. They get about two more steals per game. The defense, opponents are shooting about 3% worse per game and they're shooting worse. Or actually, teams are shooting better against them from three hmm. so far. So uh, if we just total it all up, it's kind of hard to tell. Statistically, it's close enough. You can tell the different styles. KU more defense this year than last year. Um, I think last year's team had a higher ceiling because you had so much pro talent and because you had Remy Martin at yeah. some point. I think this team might have a higher floor. Um, I think to this point through the season, though, this year's team has been better and has a better resume, but last year there were there were not as many elite to like this year it feels like there's more elite teams than last season was and that matters too. I don't know if that last statement's very true though. I don't I don't know that there are that many elite teams. I think Houston's an elite team and I guess else? I feel like UConn might be fading. They lost again last night, so that doesn't feel that great. But I think Tennessee is an elite team. Yeah. I think UCLA is an elite team. Some people might fight me on that, but they're really good, man. They're they're top 10 in both offense and defense. I think Arizona is an elite team. Hmm. Purdue, maybe. UConn, maybe. Two. Purdue lost two, though. I know. That's that's the thing. Um, like, can you really, be elite? Can you really, really be elite and lose to Rutgers? I just I, I think last year ends up being more open than this year. Could be true. But I could be wrong on that. Could be true. But yeah, I, I do think last year had the higher ceiling because it was like, oh, if they ever get Remy Martin figured out, which they did, that's what happened. Whereas I guess you could say similar things about this team, like if they ever get MJ Rice or some of the bench centers figured out. Yeah, if MJ Rice right. really gets rolling, that would be very interesting. Yeah. This one from Terry. Build the ultimate starting lineup of three point shooting in the Bill Self era. All right. I, I think at the point guard position, to me, it's between Frank Mason and Devontae. I mean, Frank Mason shot 50% yeah. his, his senior so season. This is, this is tough. So, I think I, I would even throw out, just I'm just going to throw out some names at the different positions as we go through. So, we're okay. doing point guard now just to, to get them out there. But I, I, I'm between Devontae and someone else. But uh, Devontae, Mario Chalmers, Sharon Collins, Frank Mason, Tyshawn Taylor, Remy Martin maybe. Jeff Hawkins and Jeremy Case, limited attempts, but shot. I'll just give him an honorable mention. Should we throw Dewan Harris's name out there after the tech <laughs> game? He is shooting 41% for his career. But no, I'm not I'm not picking We'll up see this. what he does the rest of the season. So you're going Devontae Frank Mason. I would go Devontae or Mario Chalmers. And here's why. I would not take Frank. I, I Frank deserves to be up there. So Frank was not really a He wasn't a great three-point shooter the first three years of his career. He wasn't. And then also he was not like a guy who was gonna just shimmy shake you splash a three in your face like Devonte was or yep, yep. not a guy who was going to hit a lot of but if i was threes. guaranteed that i was getting senior year frank i'm taking him no i mean that's totally fair 
and I get it, but he was I, I viewed him more as like a, a set shooter. If somebody goes under a screen, he's gonna shoot it. But he's not gonna he's not gonna be someone who's coming off a screen catching and shooting like Devontae was, like Mario Chalmers was. Okay. Sharon Collins, I think, is interesting here because he's a different style. He was like a I'm going to hit a lot of contested threes, but I'm not I, like I'm going to be more of a create create I don't know creation guy. Like I'm gonna create the threes. If that makes sense. Okay. So I think he deserves credit for that. And I, I do get the Frank, like, if you're just looking at the numbers of his senior year, then yes, he deserve it. But I think Mario is more versatile in how he could get the shots off for you. Okay. I think Devontae is the answer, though. I, yeah, I it's mean, hard. I, I think, think Mario Devontae, hit the biggest shot. I mean, you know? I, would, I would absolutely pick Devontae also. Yeah. Uh, shooting guard. All right, here's some names I'll bring up, and, and let me know if I forget anybody. Okay. Ben McElmore, Grady Dick, Ochag Baji. Yeah. How about Brady Morningstar, Tyrell Reed, uh, LeGerald Vick. Really shot well his entire career, especially his last season. Malik Newman, especially if I'm going if I'm going March Malik, that's the answer. If yeah. I can like narrow it down to one month. Yeah. Uh, Jalen Coleman lands, Michael Lee, Isaiah Moss, can't forget about him. Chris Tehan and Michael Jankovic, if we want to play the walk on just good shooter game. Yeah, I like Malik Newman here. I Jalen Coleman lands, I don't think deserves to be on this list. But he shot forty five percent from three. I mean he didn't really I don't know. He was Grady automatic. Dick, maybe. Again, if you're building a team. I think Ochai would be your pick, though, because Ochai, on top of being a great three-point shooter, is just great at well, everything I guess else. that's the point. I don't know if this question was intended to be like, you have to build the best team of guys who were three-point shooters, or is it you're building the best three-point shooting team? Well, Ochai could be the answer for both he of them. He could. He could. So, I, I mean, also, Ochai though, maybe, but I think, yeah, March Malik Newman, I might go with him. I feel like every season Ochai had like a couple weeks or a month where he dipped off a little. No, he did. I Ben McElmore to me might be the answer. It was only one year and he was so good as a freshman, but I don't know, man. The way that I, I don't want to oversell it because it's been what 15, 14 games. Grady Dick is probably going to be the answer at the end of the season. Uh, if he, but if we he have to up, wait and see. I mean, if, if he, he keeps up shooting yes. 48%, yes. yes. So as of right now, if you extrapolate this out, it would be Grady, but because it's not a complete full season yet, I would go with Ben McElmore. I mean, that dude had such a pure shot. And he's parlayed that into like almost a decade in the end. Maybe it is a decade this year in yeah. the NBA, just as being a good three-point shooter and being like in a good athlete. Yeah, I do think Brady Morning. I mean, Brady and Tyrell Reed, they could really stroke it, so they definitely yeah. deserve. And yeah. LeGerald Vick, his last year, man, he was he was a shooter. But yeah, that that shooting guard is probably the toughest here, which makes sense. It's supposed to be shooters. Uh, wing position. Uh this one's hard to. I'll throw uh, out like I kind of feel like it's an obvious answer here. I mean, Svi is probably the obvious one. You got, it's got to be Svi, right? Dude, Brandon Green was so good at shooting. <laughs> he just so he just good had at a shooting. lot of other issues. He did, but this is the <laughs> shooting lineup, and I want to take Brandon Green. I do think uh, Svi was better at shooting like contested threes, maybe though. Like Brandon Green, if he could, if he got an automatic three, he would be the the number one guy I would take in Kansas history with a wide open three that he would make it. <laughs> But I'll probably go Svee for the versatility of it. Brandon Rush deserves credit here, too. Yeah. Like, consistent shooter. Christian Brown, good shooter. Xavier Henry shot, like, 40% from three. Wayne Selden, by the time he was done, was a pretty good shooter. But, yeah, I think I think you're right. Svee's the answer. But if you want to go Brandon Green, I'm okay. not against it. Sure, sure. Uh, Fords and center get, to, get a little smaller, obviously. Perry Ellis, Markeith Morris, Marcus Morris. Carlton Bragg like, shot a little. I feel like you got to go with one of the Morris twins here. I don't know. Perry was pretty good. Perry was good at uh, shooting threes. I the, the problem with the Morris twins, I don't know which one I would take, first of all. I don't know either. Marcus shot 34% on about two attempts per game. 
Markeith shot about 40%, but he was at like one and a half attempts per game That was for their last season. Perry, these are his three-point percentages by year. 67, 47, 39, 44. For his career, hey. 43 on just 0.9 attempts per game, but <laughs> his last year, 44% on 1.7 attempts. I yep. think I'm going Perry. That's not bad. They did that elevator screen for him. That's By the way, bad. Darrell, Arthur, Wayne, Simeon could shoot at mid-range, but we never really saw it from three from those guys, uh, so didn't include him here. Center position, obvious answer here. I mean, if you went with what he's done in the NBA, it'd be Joel Embiid because he's turned yeah. into a three-point shooter, <laughs> but in college, he only shot 20%. The idea of Zach Clements and Cam Martin maybe could get nah. him on here. How about Mitch Lightfoot? He'd be on the short list. 13 of 40 <laughs> in his college career. That's about 32.5%. That's, that's pretty good. And then uh, the, the, the answer is clear. It's Dietrich Lawson. Yeah. He's like the real three-point shooter there. Okay, um, let's see. We're running out of time, out so of I'm time. trying to pick really a are. question here. Uh, let's go with this one. <laughs> we still have like four questions left. I know, seriously. Um, we're gonna go with this one from. We'll, we'll do. I, don't I mean, know. we can just make. We can just. All right, run we'll go rapid fire here. We can just, we can just right, run longer. Here, here. Lane. Uh, we all know that the Big Twelve is a tough conference for multiple sports. Even though KU basketball is dominant in the Big Twelve, and others they aren't. Even in a decent season. So what's more likely to happen first, KU football winning the Big 12 or KU baseball winning the Big 12? I think if you're saying KU baseball winning the Big 12 regular season, I would probably go with football. But yes. if we're talking about the you can get tournament, tournament. Yeah. if we're talking about the tournament, I think baseball would probably have a better chance of winning the tournament before KU football wins the Big 12. So I'd probably go with the baseball tournament. But if we're talking strictly regular season, I mean, dude, you're going to have to beat Texas Tech, mm. TCU, Texas. I mean, those are top, those are perennial top 12 college world series contending teams right there so i would probably go with ku football instead of ku baseball for regular season i agree um this one from hawkman what percentage would you give tyana jackson of being the big 12 player of the year she's having a great year so far actually against texas tech just last night 15 points 18 rebounds that's in, that's absurd yeah so she is fourth in the big 12 in points per game number one in rebounds per game number one in field goal percentage second in blocks per game so i think the answer there Kansas keeps it up if they finish top yeah, half I mean, of if, the Big 12. Exactly. If they, finish, they don't necessarily have to win it. No, I don't think they have to win. But if they're top four, yeah. top three, and she, keeps, and doing she this, keeps doing this, I would say a pretty high percentage. She honestly. might be the favorite, Yeah, honestly, as long as you guarantee they'll be top four or five. Uh, last one we'll get to today. Sorry for the questions we didn't get to. We'll get to those next week. From Jordan. This is Jordan Gusky of the Capital Journal. Longtime listener here, first-time caller, <laughs> even though it's a message. Thank you, though, Jordan. What is your favorite popcorn? Thanks. I'll take the answer off air. Okay, first of all, you're getting the answer on air. Second of all... Wait, this is written, what is fourth, his favorite popcorn? Is he saying what is, what is his, Jordan's favorite? Is he asking me? Because his is, is just you? regular buttered popcorn, I believe. Is he asking me? Is he asking Stadium you? popcorn? I don't know. What's yours? And okay. I'll give mine. Well, quick, very, very quick story. In fourth grade, I did a research project. It was a very, very scientific research project on, on microwave popcorn, where I literally counted which popcorn was the most effective at popping the most amount of kernels. <laughs> the answer was Oval Redenbacher Movie Theater Popcorn. So that's what I'm going with for movie theater because you get your you get the maximum bang for your buck. It pops the most kernels per bag. Mm -hmm. Fourth grade me certified it. Over Red Mocker movie theater popcorn. So I Back don't away. I don't know what they specifically use at the actual movie theater, but that is 100% the best. And then you get the butter in there. That's number one. Uh, my wife has the actual like 
popcorn stove top popper that you put on there and you put your own seeds that you buy the, the popcorn seeds at the store and you put the butter in there, whatever else you need. Yeah. That stuff's really good when it's homemade. So that's what I would go with. But I, I do love a good caramel corn. I do love a good like, Not really much cheese popcorn. popcorn. Cheese, po- cheese I had corn a, okay, I, I, I got some, uh, it was hot cheese. So it was, like, it was almost like a like spicy, a flaming hot cheese mix Ooh. on a popcorn yeah, at this one place. That was like, really good. I don't like spicy. Okay. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We'll get to the rest of the questions next week. That's our KU Mailbag. This is RCST Big 12 Breakdown next. A couple games in to the Big 12 slate so far. And last night, TCU pulled off a big victory. I I feel like we, we might have written them off too early after they no, bad like, first we, three we, games. We thought they sucked early on. And then we just kind of were like, okay, TCU sucks. Yeah, and then they don't suck. They don't. Out. They're good now. They're, they're they're pretty good now. They won at Baylor on the road. Tough place to play, even though again Baylor's not like the elite top five team that we might have thought preseason. But they're still no. a good team. They're top twenty five team and everything. You win there on the road. That's always a tough thing. I mean, to Baylor's do. still in the top half of the league, right? Yeah. Well, I guess to this point, who scares you most for competing for the Big Twelve title for Kansas? Like, who is the team that people should be scoreboard watching and being like? You hope they lose. I mean, I don't know the answer right now. Sheesh, maybe, maybe TCU. I guess so. That that has I mean, to be the number one candidate. With the big news out of Texas, Chris Beard fired. Uh, I think that obviously just lost at home to K State. Yeah, I think that obviously is a pretty big hit to them. And and uh, you know, off off the court, the drama involving Chris Beard. Now they've fired him, and so they got to figure out what's the, what they're going to do with that. And I, I don't know that 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 could rattle them. That could really kind of derail their season a little bit. So I guess we'll have to see what happens with them. But but listen, they're a very talented team, right? I mean, they could still end up finishing in the top three or four of the Big 12 with the talent they have. So, yeah, I mean, I, I guess at this point, TCU, I don't know. They just beat Baylor on the road. So that certainly, I think, makes me more intrigued about what's going on in Fort Worth. And then, yeah. who? I mean, after that, you've got, you already beat Texas Tech on the road. West Virginia doesn't really scare me too much at this point. They're already 0-2 in conference. Iowa State doesn't really scare. They're a top 25 team, but they don't, I mean. Well, so this, this I mean, weekend. Is Iowa State really going to win the Big 12? I, I was going to so. say, this weekend will be a true test for two teams to be like, are they just like an average team in the Big 12, or are they like a legit? Uh, Iowa State plays at TCU on Saturday. So if they win that, it's like, okay, maybe uh, at that point they'd be 3-0. Okay, maybe. Um. Oklahoma State plays Texas in Stillwater. And at that point, if Oklahoma State wins that game, they'd be 2-1 and one with uh, a win over Texas and a game that they very easily could have won in Allen Fieldhouse. Maybe we'll start taking them a little more seriously. Probably yeah, not. I don't know. Kansas State is at Baylor. So oh, that's going to go one of two ways. Either If K-State wins, we're going to be like, yeah, K-State is and, at that point and a contender. Wins, and Baylor, Baylor is bad. Be, yes. Baylor would be done, basically. But if Baylor like, I don't wins. Want, like I don't want to say they'd be done, but they they'd be for the Big Twelve half, title probably. They'd be I mean, half they'd be three. They'd be zero yeah. three. Yeah, I mean, and, and, yeah, tough to do. Right now on Ken Palm, it has Kansas going thirteen and five. It has Texas going eleven and seven, and then everyone else at between seven and nine wins. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't. I'm not like quite sure what to think of K State. By the way, should Texas make a call to Jerome Tang? Oh, gosh, I didn't even think about that. Um, yeah, probably. I, I wonder where they're going to go for the job search, honestly. 
Go back to Shaka Smart. He's doing good at Marquette now. <laughs> He's like, oh, you got it figured back out. Come on back. Um, Rick Barnes, maybe bring him back. They just like go back to the old guys. He's doing well at, at I Tennessee. No, I don't think that would work. <laughs> no. Would they? Uh, could they convince Jay Wright out of retirement with enough money? Maybe. Probably not. I can't imagine Jay Wright is someone who, like, I know there were whispers about. I don't know if it's true or not that he was partially getting out of the game because he didn't like dealing with the NIL stuff. Oh, um, and yeah. the headaches that created. If that bothers you, which again, I don't know if that's true or not with, with what led to him retiring. It could have just been, hey, I've made millions of dollars. I've been successful. Yeah, Let's I mean, you know live out my life. Yeah. Um, but if that was the case, I could not imagine he would be like, yeah, I want to deal with the Texas boosters. That sounds yeah. fun. You know? Yeah. No, that's a good point. Ooh, oh, no, I have the perfect scenario. What? Okay, tell this 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 makes too much sense. Kentucky is so mad at John Calipari right now. Cal to Texas? Cal to Texas. Tell me that does not make sense. Would he not be like a very perfect Texas coach with what the boosters would want? They'd pay billions of dollars to Kentucky to get the buyout. Kentucky would be like, oh, great. We already signed him to his lifetime contract, and we're already kind of wanting out right now. This is our excuse to get out of it. That works. Hey, I guess. I can totally see that. Anyway. um, Would Cal want that? Maybe if he's like, I feel like I'm getting on the hot seat here. Okay. Right? Just kind of reset know, the, I guess. the clock. Sometimes I guess. you need a change of scenery. Well, yeah, I mean, listen, I do not like Cal at all. So I don't want him. I and don't then want he'd him be in back in the SEC in a year and he'd get to try that, to beat oh, no, Kentucky. I, yeah, that's right? true. He'd be back in the SEC. Yeah. I don't even have to worry about him. Which would be fun for him, I'm sure. Yeah. Okay. How many wins do you think wins the Big 12? I know we asked that to Brian earlier. Yeah, I mean, what's your answer? I don't know. I mean, uh, now that I've really started to do some more thinking about it, and with the with the Texas news, I think thirteen or thirteen probably gets it done. Fourteen, fourteen for sure. 13 I remember probably. being around this point in the season last year, and last year's Big Twelve was great as well. Like you had Iowa State, it was predicted no to be way the worst it was team. As good as this year's Big Twelve, though. I think last I mean, you got year's all ten teams are in the top thirty. Well, last year's had more elite teams at the top because you had two one seeds. That's not going to happen this year. Probably not. And then it's not going to happen just because everybody's going to beat each other up. But yes, and whoever's this year, the one seed is going to get the nod, or whoever wins the Big Twelve, I should say, is going to get the nod as the one seed. Yeah. And then after that, you might. I mean, could be you crazy. might have you might have two or three teams that are two, three, four seeds. Yeah, but yeah, this is this is deeper than last year. But it's not much deeper. Like last year, still had. I mean, is it crazy to think that Kansas is the one? Like Kansas, let's say Kansas wins the Big Twelve. Mm-hmm. Kansas one seed, Baylor's a two, TCU is a two or a three, and Texas is like a four? Like, is that that crazy to say? It's not and because, Maybe yeah. Texas Tech is even like a five or a six. But like, okay. Iowa State's a top 25 team. For Iowa instance, State's last a six. Year, last year, you had Kansas and Baylor, both one seeds. Tech was a three seed. Texas was a six seed. TCU was a nine seed who nearly beat Arizona in the second round. Iowa State was an 11 seed that made the Sweet 16. Uh, Oklahoma was one of the first four teams out because they got a one seed in the NIT. And then Oklahoma State was ineligible. So, yeah, like like Kansas State, West Virginia, Oklahoma State, if those were three of your worst teams last year, those teams are better this year. So, yes, it's deeper, but I don't know if it's as good as the top. But, yeah, I mean, I, I remember possible, last year. Is it possible for all 10 teams to make the NCAA tournament? I don't think so. I don't think so. But, like, I, I think that— What if they all go 9-9? Nine and nine? Then, yeah, it probably would happen. I just don't think that's going to happen. I, I think the chances of that happening are so slim. Um Last year, I remember saying when we were at this point, it was like, oh, I think 12 wins or 13 is going to get it done because it was the same thing. And then at the end of the day, you had two teams tie for it at 14. 
So I, I, I guess this year, because there isn't that other threat like the Baylor to Kansas, because there's not that other team that probably get a one seed, maybe I will lower it a little bit, but I'm not going to go all the way down to 11 or 12. I'll say that 14 wins it outright, 13 gets a share. Well, the thing is, is like, and the more I think about it, like, yeah, that we're talking about how good the Big 12 is, but like, I don't see Kansas losing six or seven Big 12 games. I mean, do you? I don't no, know. I don't think they will. So if that if if that's the case, then they're going to get thirteen or fourteen wins, and I that I think that's going to be enough. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. Fourteen wins it outright. Thirteen, you're uh, you're tied there. Okay, we're going to take a timeout. Um, when we come back, we've got another edition of Hey, what's going on over there? U.S. Soccer Edition, the juicy one. Yes, it is. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. Coming up at 5 o'clock, we are going to get to our KU Football 2022 season recap. Some of our favorite memories, moments, games from the season. By the way, good news today on DeMar Hamlin, the Bills safety who um, was taken to the hospital and today woke up, wrote down some things, communicated with the doctor. Um, Some extremely encouraging news. Yeah, it seems to be in good spirits and everything. Uh, the first question he asked when he when he woke up and wrote down was, "Did we win?" So seems to be in in good spirits and everything. Um, sounds like the Bills have found out, and it's it's given him a nice uh, kind of uplift there. So certainly very good there. We'll talk more about what's going on with the seeding stuff on on tomorrow's show. Right now, though, we have a hey, what is going on over there? This is a U.S. Soccer edition, and maybe more specifically, a Greg Bearhalter. Addition, I guess he is the team's head coach of uh, U.S. soccer, and you know someone who certainly been criticized during the World Cup for his lineups and maybe usage <laughs> or misusage of, of players. I don't know enough about the team to be like, oh, that was you know, can't believe he did that. But um, earlier this week, it was reported that an investigation was going to happen over Greg Burhalter after information had been sent along um, about some stuff earthed up over a 1991 altercation. Bearhalter, whose contract expired on December 31st, according to an ESPN source, released a statement of his own earlier this week saying someone had contacted U.S. soccer with information that would, quote, take him down. And revealing that he had kicked his longtime partner, Rosalind, following a barroom argument while in college at the University of North Carolina. So basically, there's a barroom argument. He kicks his girlfriend at the time. Which they, I think they're married yeah, now. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he said, in the fall of 1991, I met my soulmate. I had just turned 18 and was a freshman in college when I met Rosalind. One night while out drinking at a local bar, Rosalind and I had a heated argument that continued outside. It became physical, and I kicked her in the legs. So, that's not cool. But, Bearhalter said the authorities were never involved and that he sought counseling after the incident. The two reconciled after the fight. He later got married, and they have four children. Okay, so, you know what, uh... A couple fight that turns into a bit of a domestic situation, but no authorities were involved. They managed to resolve it, got married, have four kids. Yeah. 
Regarding the investigation, U.S. Soccer said in its statement, quote, Upon learning of the allegation against U.S. men's national team head coach Greg Berhalter on December 11, 2022, U.S. Soccer immediately hired Alston and Bird LLP to conduct an independent investigation into the matter. Now, the story could have just stopped there. This could have been a story of a coach who, you know, had some people who disagreed with his stuff and had an incident in the past and his contract is due up at the end of December and they're just not going to re-up it and there's going to be a new coach for U.S. soccer. Um, And this is certainly something of note, but here's where the story takes a real turn and we get into the, hey, what is going on over there? First, let's go back because if you might have noticed when we were just talking, we said um, that somebody had contacted U.S. soccer with information that would, quote, take him down. So what could that be about? So, let's go back to the start. Giovanni Reina is born to a couple of great soccer parents, both of which played for the U.S. men's and women's national teams, respectively. He was born in England, though. His dad at the time was playing for Sunderland, which is a club in England. So, he's born in England. He counts as a European player. He's currently on Borussia Dortmund, who's one of the better clubs in Germany and in Europe. Um, But his dad, because of him, his dad is like, I believe, dual citizenship with Portugal. So he has a Portuguese passport. Or I'm sorry, no, his mother. His mother, uh, Danielle, has a Portuguese like dual citizenship and a Portuguese passport. So he has Portuguese. His father's side has ties to Argentina. So he has the... Portuguese side, the Argentinian side, the English side because he was born there, and the U.S. side. That means he could have chosen four different clubs to play for when he decided which national team he wanted to play for. In the, in the World Cup. Yes, yeah, correct, Cup. correct. And this isn't like one of those players who it's like, oh, he could choose between U.S. and here, but if he goes to England, he's never going to play. Whereas on the U.S., he'll be one of the starters. Like, this guy's a very notable young talent. Again... He is with Borussia Dortmund, and he started playing with Borussia Dortmund when he was just 17 years old. And again, that is like one of the best clubs in Germany and in Europe. He's gone on to score eight goals for them since he's been playing there, nearly 70 games as a a midfielder. Uh, He was a candidate this past year for the 2022. This this award sounds weird. The Golden Boy. (laughs) I love that. Golden Boy. I love the Golden Boy Award. Yeah, for the Golden Boy Award, which is uh, an award that's... We should rename Rookie of the Year in the NFL to the Golden Boy Boy Award. (laughs) It's an award that is given by sports journalists to a young footballer playing in Europe, perceived to have been the most impressive during a calendar year. All nominees must be under the age of 21 and play in European nations top tier. So he qualified for that. He was a candidate for it. Didn't win it, but... Clearly a very talented young guy. He ends up like clearing all the rumors and is just like, hey, you don't have to worry about me playing for these other nations that I know I can play for. And he says he's going to be playing for the Americans, which he does. And at the youth level, he scores, which by youth level, I'm saying like they have the U17 teams, they have the U18 teams. He scores 16 goals in 31 games, which is really good at the youth international level. So then he makes his first senior appearance with the team in 2020. He's scored four goals in 16 matches with the senior team, which that's pretty good for a midfielder, especially for the U.S. So fast forward to the 2022 World Cup, which just happened. At the time, Giovanni Reina is now 20 years old. 
He is seen as one of the most talented players on Team USA. Despite that, despite being one of the most talented players, playing for one of the top clubs of anyone on the team, he plays just 52 minutes in four games. And amid all of the, I I said earlier, a lot of people I would see on Twitter talking about, can you believe this lineup from Greg Berhalter? Which, to begin with, um, sports where you have lineups, baseball, soccer, I feel like that's the number one thing that fans like every game. It's like, can you believe this lineup? (laughs) I I never understand that. But it it happened all the time. They were like, why are they not, or why are they not subbing him in? And he was at the center stage of that. His sidelining throughout the group stage of the tournament led to speculation from analysts of possible issues within the team, though, because it's like, why is this guy not playing very much? Bearhalter publicly addressed issues regarding an anonymous player for a lack of commitment and poor attitude and confirmed that the team had held a meeting to determine if that player was to remain with the team in Qatar for the remainder of the tournament or if they should send him home. Dude, that's like, I mean, that's pretty serious. If you're going to send a guy home. What was he doing? I don't know. I don't know. Do you think he was like going out and partying and drinking in a country where you could get in serious trouble for that? Could be. I don't know what else it would be. Had to have been something crazy. I don't know. Um, That was a anonymous player, quote unquote. But on December 12th, 2022, Giovanni Reyna confirmed that he was the aforementioned player about whom... Bearhalter was speaking, and he apologized for his behavior while criticizing the decision to publicize the information. Yeah, this, so he this was does like, seem kind of like something that's like you don't want to let you know you don't want to voluntarily yeah. let this get out. Basically. Yeah, so he was like, "My bad, I shouldn't have done it, but screw you for making this public. Like, why should I get the backlash?" To which I can see both sides. Yeah, that does suck to just have it earthed out, but also, what if? But what I mean, if, sometimes the better option is to just yeah, you like know, what confront he, it. Just what to if be he like, did hey. have had conversations with him and he wasn't listening to it? And you know, what if what if it was a situation where he couldn't get through to him and he was like, This is the only way I can get through to him. Yeah. Or, like, or just the outside pressure just becomes so much mm-hmm. and so distracting that you just need to come out and say, Hey, yeah, we've had some discussions about a particular guy being an idiot or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so that was kind of a mess. So tie this all back in, and you have a player who thought he should have played more with a fan base who thought the same. And then this Spurhalter report came out about the kind of incident, I guess would be the, the term to use for it. ESPN later reported that the person responsible for alerting executives... This is where it really takes a turn. For the Bearhalter incident was none other than Claudio Reyna, the father of Giovanni Reyna. And Claudio Reyna, on top of that, he was a former U.S. captain for the men's national team. What? ESPN said that he sent multiple messages to U.S. soccer executives during the World Cup threatening to reveal sensitive details about U.S. men's national team coach Greg Berhalter's past. Yikes. He made a statement on Wednesday. He said, quote, while in Qatar, I shared my frustrations about my son's World Cup experience with a number of close friends, Ernie and Brian McBride among them. 
I would assume those are like executives. I don't know. However, at no time did I ever threaten anyone, nor would I ever do so. Here's my guess of what happened here. Here's a little reckless speculation. <laughs> this was either like a group chat or he's there and, you know, they're they're going to a bar together. They're going to a restaurant afterwards. And he's like, he's just mad that his son's not playing. And he's talking and he's saying, I can't believe he's not playing um, for this stupid mistake he did when he was 18. If only people knew, it'd be a shame if it got out about what he did when he was 18. And maybe he didn't mean it as a, a, a threat or he was trying to veil it that way so it didn't come across as a threat. But kind of sounds like you are. So yeah. I, I don't know. That would just be my guess. Reckless yeah. speculation there. Um, so yesterday, though, even more details come out that it wasn't, in fact, one of it. I guess it could have been both, but that it was instead his mother, Danielle. What? Danielle, so they're both blackmailing? I, I guess. You think it was separate? They like, and then they, they both, and then they were like, "Wait a second. And they were like, "Good job," you know. <laughs> like, wait a second, you have the same idea that I had. <laughs> this is why we're married. <laughs> Danielle Reyna says she told United States Soccer Federation Sporting Director Ernie Stewart about the incident on December 11th during the 2022 Qatar World Cup. In a statement obtained by ESPN and Fox Sports, Reyna stated. I told Ernie that I thought it was especially unfair that Gio, who had apologized for acting immaturely about his playing time, was still being dragged through the mud when Greg had asked for and received forgiveness for doing something so much worse at the same age. So that almost makes it sound like whatever Gio was doing, he was like acting like maybe he was was pouting at practice. He was, you know, he'd kick balls to the side and be like, I'm not participating in this. I, I don't know. Bad attitude. Yeah. But still, man. What are we doing? What are we doing here? Crazy. Uh, Anthony Hudson's going to serve as the interim men's national team head coach while the organization reviews its programs. I cannot imagine, because everybody, this is a story that relates to sports at literally every level. Seriously, you go to the youth level, you go to high school, you go to college, you go to pro. I mean, pro probably the least, just because, although this, I guess, is professional, but just because you would think, you know, at the pro level, it is such a business, but... Um, I guess this is a little different with legacy parents, so to speak. But you see this all the time with coaches having to deal with parents who are just way too much or overbearing with the coach or, you know, my kid's the best in the world. Why are you not doing this? Or why are you treating him like that? And it's so ridiculous. And this is taking it to a whole nother level with the World Cup. I can't imagine if you're one of the U.S. teammates of Giovanni Reyna, I... I can't imagine you're you're this is thinking not, too fondly of yeah, Gio Reyna. This is not going well. Also, uh, I was just reading further into it here. Danielle Reyna, I guess, was also Rosalind's college teammate at North Carolina. Interesting. So there's a there's a tweet from a guy named Justin Moran on Twitter. He has essentially a timeline of events here. So it has the you know kind of the stuff we've already outlined and whatnot. And then it goes down to December 11th. Berhalter makes a statement about Gio Reyna, anonymous at the time. Gio's mom, Danielle, who was Rosalind's college teammate, calls Ernie Stewart, who was the... um, Stewart is the... What's his official title? He's the GM, general manager. Furious about Greg's public comments. And that's when supposedly she told Ernie about... 
the incident that happened between Rosalind and Greg from 1991. And then it just kind of kept spiraling from there. Okay. Well, that's what's going on over there. U.S. soccer. There's a lot going on. Constantly in the this is fine flames meme, I feel like, with U.S. soccer. Yeah, that's tough. And and we've talked about it during the World Cup time. It's like 2026, or this time period leading up Not to 2026, anymore. is like probably one of the biggest time periods for U.S. soccer maybe ever, right? Mm-hmm. Like in terms of drumming up support for the sport as a whole in the country when you're going to be hosting the World Cup, in terms of your team having a chance to, you know, make a run in the World Cup, right? And you're going to have this potentially clouding, start. clouding over at least the start of kind of that campaign, basically. Yeah. Uh, real quick, though, before we go to play, break, this is completely different from that. Competition committee is set to convene at 6 p.m. Eastern time, 5 p.m. Central time, so in a few minutes here, to vote on the approach to AFC playoff seeding, given the decision to not resume Bill's Bengals. So maybe we'll have the answer to that. Interesting. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. Five o'clock hour here. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Um, Before we get to our uh, KU football season recap from 2022, some big KU football news. We talked about Jason Bean possibly coming back, at least hinting at it maybe on Instagram. This is more official from Lonnie Phelps on Instagram. Uh, I'm basically going to skip around to the bottom here. I am excited to declare for the 2023 NFL draft. So Lonnie Phelps will not be part of Kansas next season. This is not like the NBA draft where they can go test and then they come back. Uh, I guess technically Tilly hires an agent, which I don't know if that's happened yet. He could come back, but certainly seems like that'll be the case, and and that's a huge loss for Kansas for a defense that already struggled so much to be losing its best player. Yeah, that's a huge blow, and I think also really shocking probably for a lot of people from the outside. Like mm-hmm. This is not something I think really a lot of people close to the, pro, or no, close I mean, to the he, program even expect. He's not someone that's been popping up as being like, oh, no. he's going to be this draft pick. Now, yeah, so. it's also not surprising because we've seen this happen a lot with KU football players, Nigel King, Puka Williams, guys who go early and they go undrafted. I don't know if Lonnie will go undrafted. He might be like a late-round pick, but certainly not a day one or day two, but I, I don't say that to you know be mean. I'm just being honest. Yeah, but you do wish him is, well and, and hope he has a great NFL career. Yeah, I, yeah, it still it still is very surprising, and, and I think you're right to the to the point of the defense in the second half of the season struggled, and when you consider on top of that, when you look at the D line, the D line is losing already. I think I think now with with Lonnie Phelps declaring for the draft, I think the D line now loses all four of their starters, both the ends and the guys in the middle. Right? Yeah. Jeremy Robinson. Malcolm Lee. Malcolm Lee. Sam Burt. Sam Burt. Uh, Caleb. Eddie Wilson. Well, yeah. Caleb Sampson. Yeah. And now Lonnie Phelps. Mm-hmm. So you're yeah. basically, so not only are you losing all of your starters along the line, but you're losing some depth guys too. Yeah. Which we already knew before before this announcement of Lonnie declaring, we knew that the defensive line was going to be a, a position group with very high turnover. Well, now that just got a lot more difficult, I think, for those guys because Lonnie was like, the impact guy, he was the guy you kind of look to as somebody who could make a big play mm-hmm. on a third down, right? I mean, we look at this defense, you look at Lonnie, and you look at Kobe Bryant as guys who were kind of X-factor players that could make a big play, yeah. right? Like like guys like Kenny Logan and 
uh, Craig Young. They weren't necessarily so much as those like X Factor type guys. They were more of like your kind of consistent type players, or even like an OJ Burroughs type guy. Like, but when you look at in terms of guys on like a big third down, when you thought, okay, this is a play where this guy could make a big make a big impact. Generally, you were looking at Lonnie Phelps in your D line, and in the secondary, Kobe Bryant. And so losing Lonnie Phelps, that's a that's a pretty big blow, certainly to this team. Now, the good news for Kansas is they're going to have eight months to resolve that position and to and to fill that. So it, it, I don't think there's any reason to really panic, but it is still a big blow. But on the other side, like you said, for, for KU, I mean, you got to wish nothing but the best for Lonnie, right? He came in this season and really was what people thought, really mm-hmm. what people hoped he would be, right? A dynamic defensive end guy that could make big plays, had a great game to start the season against Tennessee Tech, and still, even he, even though he kind of battled a little bit of injuries too, still found a way to make a big impact in certain games as well. So wish him nothing but the best in the NFL uh, as well. He saw the sack numbers. I mean, uh, by that impact, by what you're losing in terms of just the numbers of sacks, you can make that up. He had four sacks in the last 11 games. So against FBS opponents, it's four sacks. That's that's make-upable for Kansas, if that's a word. But where you really lose it is that he was the guy that was drawing all the double teams, and he was, like, if, if he's getting single-teamed every game, um, then he ends up with, with even bigger stats. The good news is, I like, well, Jeremy— just look, just look at the Arkansas game. I mean, he made—there were multiple plays that he yeah. made. Now, the play that sticks out the most probably to you is the one where he had K.J. KJ Jefferson for the twice. sack. Had him twice. And then he scores a 30-yard touchdown run. Well, not the touchdown part. But, yeah, he had him twice on the sack, and he couldn't— Or, no, he didn't, did he score on that run? I don't, I don't know. I know did. it was a long run after that, though. Um. Yeah, they, they have a lot to replace on the D-line. I, I do think Jeremy Robinson, having him come back, I'm expecting a breakout year from him. I thought he was really good in the back half of the season. Actually, if we go from October 1st right. on, Robinson's which would be the cool. Iowa State game on. Robinson is coming back, right? Yes. Yeah, Robinson okay. had, I, I think I mentioned him as a guy who was gone, but I, I messed that up. Yeah. It was, it, Robinson's coming back. Robinson from October 1st on had six tackles for loss. Lonnie Phelps had five and a half. Again, Lonnie Phelps' guy, a lot of times getting double teamed, so you take that into account. But I, I think Jeremy Robinson can be really good. But, yeah, I mean, that's a huge loss, and now you have questions about how much better can the Kansas defense get next year. Will it be better? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. And if that's not the question and you're you're like, oh, this defense is going to be worse than it was this year, then it's going to be hard to make a bowl game. Seriously. If the defense is worse than it was this year. Yeah, I mean, from a, from a pass rush standpoint, they're probably going to be worse. Yes. But if you can be but better against the run, then maybe it balances out. Exactly. Mm-hmm. If they're better, if the secondary gets better with Kenny Logan, Kobe Bryant gets another year, Melo Dawson gets another year, OJ Burroughs gets another year, Kalen Gervin's back, I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure, right? Yep. And the linebacking core, largely back. So if if that aspect of the defense gets better and maybe just it's just simply that you can't get as much pass rush, that's concerning. But I think it's overcomable, if that's a word, yes. compared to make-upable. Yes. So big loss, and uh, you know, un- unfortunate there. But again, like I, I think Lonnie Phelps could end up uh, making it in the NFL. I think he's a very talented guy, and uh, good luck to him as he tries to move on to the next chapter in his life. Okay, I, I want to recap uh, the season. We don't have a ton of time here for KU, but overall, you go six and six, and just an absolutely great season it was. Think about all the fun things that happened. You had game day here. You were ranked at one point. You had Heisman talk. You 
won four games for the first time in over a decade. You made a bowl for you the went, first you time. You started five and zero in fourteen years. Yeah, uh, you played in a bowl game that that certainly is memorable and was a very oh, yeah. fun bowl game to say the least. Yeah, I think probably the best non playoff bowl game or non New Year's Six bowl game. What was your just for moving forward like biggest takeaway? about where either the team, a player, program, the staff is is kind of headed moving forward? For me, I think it was really the commitment of the athletic department and furthermore the coaching staff to KU football. And by that I mean Travis Goff and his commitment, Lance Leipold and his commitment after the great start. Like, I mean, would anybody have blamed Lance Leipold if after going 5-0 and he signs a deal to be the next coach at Wisconsin or Nebraska? Like, would it, could anybody – could any like, KE fans would have obviously been upset by that, but could anybody have blamed him, right? I mean, you got a program like Kansas that hasn't hasn't even sniffed anything really relevant since 2008, and Nebraska and or Wisconsin comes knocking on your door, two schools that you both – that you have ties to or that you're from originally. So I think just the overall commitment of this program, and furthermore, Travis Goff doubling down on his commitment to KU football with – by ex- number one, by extending Lance Leipold. Number two, by unveiling you know the plans for the development of, of the stadium. Right? I mean, listen, the stadium stuff. It's it's kind of been an ongoing thing for like six years, but nobody. It, it's kind of stalled. You know what I mean? Like it's, it hasn't really gotten anywhere. Mm-hmm. And the between Lance Leipold and the start that Kansas had and Travis Scoff, it seems like they've really loosened the the wheels on that, and it's that that's going to be going somewhere. Right? Yeah which really, really just further confirms the commitment of the athletic department to football, along with Lance Leipold. So to me, that was that was one of my biggest takeaways was, I mean, listen, the sky was almost falling when Nebraska fired Matt Rule and people thought Lance Leipold was for sure going to leave, and he didn't. So his commitment to KU football, I think, really, really impressed me, and it, I you know, I think it, really sets you on the right track for the next half dozen years. My biggest takeaway was about Jalen Daniels. Like, we we thought at the end of the 2021 season, we thought he was going to be really good. We saw him play really well, but we didn't fully know because it was still such a small sample size. We officially found out he is a dude, he is legit, and he is one of the best quarterbacks in college football. Uh, do you have a biggest surprise from the season? It's got to be the wide receiver room, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's got to be the wide receivers. Coming into this season, that was widely considered to be the worst position group on the team. Not just on offense, on the whole team, right? And maybe we should have listened more during some of those preseason press conferences. <laughs> Lance Leipold and Andy Kolnicki, both both of those guys were, were talking up guys like Quentin Skinner, guys like Tanaka Scott, saying, hey, you know, our receivers are making plays in practice. And sure enough, Quentin Skinner really, really burst onto the scene. Lawrence Arnold was a consistent deep threat, a consistent contested catch guy. Luke Grimm really shined, uh, especially down the stretch and in the bowl game, right? And Tanaka Scott even got a little bit involved there. You lost some of that momentum early in the season with Trevor Wilson's stuff and Tanaka Scott as well. But, but still, the, the three guys of Skinner, Wilson, or excuse me, Skinner, and Luke Grimm and Lawrence Arnold, those three dudes combined really, really shined and made big plays throughout the season. To me, that was by far the biggest surprise. I think that's the clear-cut answer. If I'm just adding something else, I'll just throw out Dominic Pooney, just in general. 
You know, yeah. transfer from D2, didn't know how it was going to work. Was like, okay, this could add good line depth, maybe. He ended up being one of your best, maybe your best offensive lineman. I know Nowitzki ended up on the All-Big 12 awards, and I have no problem if, if he had a better season. But I, th- I think Pooney was just as good as any lineman that you have this year. Uh, what about a biggest letdown on the other end of things? Something that you thought was going to happen and, and maybe let it down. Yeah. I think it, for me, I think it would be probably either the special teams or the lack of aggressiveness coaching-wise. Like, too That's many times one. this season, we kind of saw Lance sort of just not be as aggressive as we wanted him to be. And as he was in his first year at Kansas, right? That was really the biggest surprise. It's like, you're a lot better this season. Why aren't you continuing to be more aggressive, which is something you did last season? So that that one, I so I guess by extension of that, kind of like the the four-minute offense or the late-game execution at times. And I guess fumbling. I would put fumbling on there, too. Yeah, despite us yelling at them every week not to do it. <laughs> um, I would say for me it was probably the lack of a big chunk of the transfers impacting things. This isn't to say that every transfer, like Lonnie Phelps, you got everything you could have signed up for. Craig Young was Craig solid. Young was still really good. I mean, Eric Gilliard you didn't get much from, and he ended up transferring. Yeah, but like that, that's maybe the biggest one. Maybe specifically but it's at the linebacker I thought spot. Gervin was good. Yeah, Gervin was Especially good too. Especially when you had the Kobe Bryant injury. Yeah, and Marvin, and Marvin Grant, Grant eventually was pretty got good as like a box safety run stopper. Right. He had, his, he had his issues though, but well, and I guess maybe maybe it's just dialed back expectations. Maybe you shouldn't expect every no, year I agree, for all these guys. To, no, to I understand hit. what you're saying. Like, like it's not like any of those guys really. Besides Eric Gilliard, it's and I mean Lorenzo. But McCaskill, I thought Gilliard and time. McCaskill. Like I thought Gilliard would be a good situational linebacker against the run. I thought McCaskill was going to be your best linebacker. Yeah, so that I think, was yeah, a little I think, disappointing. I think this question is more of like the expectations were. Wow, these guys are going to come in and all of them are going to be superstars, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. And then it was like, okay, well, only like one of them was basically. Well, and then like you look at the running back position. I thought Kai Thomas was going to play a huge role. Yeah. I thought Savion Morrison. Wasn't going to be one of your top two backs, but I thought he would have a, a real role on the team, and, and that didn't really end up being the case. So that would probably be there. Uh, is there anything that, that you want to brag on that you feel like you nailed that you thought in the preseason was going to happen? I mean, I'll just I'll start it for you here. Okay. You picked them to win six games. So. I did. I said they would go six and yeah. six. Now, I didn't get any of the games right, but <laughs> I said they would go six and six. So I got that right. Uh, so, you know, props to me there. Um, okay, I think this is interesting. The running game was strong, but that was an easy prediction. Lots of people predicting that. But what I think is most interesting about the running game is it was successful, but not necessarily in the way that we thought it would be, right? Like, I don't, I don't think there was as much conversation preseason about Jalen Daniels being an elite runner as it turned out there was early yeah. in the season. Yeah, no, you're right. Daniel we were like Hyshaw, Jason Bean's the running guy, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Daniel Hyshaw was not a guy that was really on a lot of people's radars to be a major impact guy, and obviously he was huge, right? He was arguably your best running back at times with, with Devin Neal, right? So the success of the running game, but maybe not how we thought it would be, was interesting to me. I think that's a good one. Um, I thought the tight end room was going to be really good. It, and, it even exceeded my expectations, but I were, feel like yeah. I was okay at that. Um, I, I definitely thought that I, I've always been a part of the O.J. Burroughs hype train, so I thought he had a good year. Yeah, I, I think O.J. Burroughs, assuming he sticks around for another two or three, four years, like mm-hmm. he's going to be an elite coverage safety, I think. Yeah. No, I like that. You were right about that from the beginning. Yeah. No, I like him. Uh, favorite game of the season. Which was your favorite game? Ooh. I think maybe Iowa State 
just because you Which got is the such five an and ugly oh, game, but it was like, but like just the, yeah. the everything else about it was so huge. Yes, right. Like getting to five and zero, oh, it was incredible. It was a constant on pins and needles. Game. Yeah, it was an incredible experience. Seeing all the fans, seeing the big five and zero oh on the scoreboard, mm-hmm. like letting that sink in of like, holy cow! Yeah, we are five. This team's five and zero. Oh. Like that was a, a really special experience. And even though you lost the TCU game, the college game day obviously. I think puts it up there. And I think you same put thing, two losses up there. Yeah, yeah the same thing with Arkansas. Game. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, the Arkansas game was just incredible. Yeah, incredible game. That might be the answer. I don't know. Oklahoma State was a lot of fun just because what it meant. Yeah, but, I mean, you kind of just you kind of just yeah. beat them. You just beat their doors I, off, I really. think I would go with the West Virginia game. You get down big. You yeah. come back. It was a yeah. fun, high-scoring offense game. Goes to overtime. The way you win it at the end, that would probably be my answer. But I don't know. I might go Arkansas. What about a best moment? There's a lot of good moments here. So you got the Kobe, you got the Kobe Bryant six, six pick six against West Virginia. You've got uh, Jason Bean long touchdown run that was pretty good. Yeah, I think I would maybe go with an underrated moment here. This probably wouldn't be on most people's top two or three or four moments for the season. Jared Casey long touchdown against Texas Tech. That's a good one. The big man hustling down the sideline. It sucks. Seventy three yards you know? or however many yards mm-hmm. he ran down the sideline. I mean, Jared Casey. This dude is wide. He is a big dude. And he is just outrunning everybody down the sidelines, off the trick play for the touchdown. I think that might be number one, honestly. That is certainly, I mean, I, I or, think. Or the, oh, I also forgot. The Daniel Highshot TD yeah, against Duke. Against that Duke. one was insane. That was in, incredible. The, just, uh, there's a classification of Andy Kotelnicki being in his bag and, and having all these crazy play calls. <laughs> well, that, that kind of goes in line with there. the Jerry yeah, Casey yeah. touchdown, right? Um, I, I think for me it's probably going to be the Kobe Bryant pick six to seal it against West Virginia. That was kind of the arrival uh, when I think back to the season, this wasn't a moment I remember at the time because it was a video that came out after, but the Jalen Daniels part just yelling new era, that's yeah. going to stick with me about this team, even though it wasn't a, a memory necessarily in the moment. I feel bad about this one because it's it's somebody else's failure, but Iowa State missing all the field goals, like that'll yeah. certainly be remembered for <laughs> yeah. me. Yeah. But yeah, I think Daniel Highshaw, the long TD run, that's my favorite that's, like highlight. That actually might be number one. I changed my mind. But that I think one... it's the Kobe, Jalen, new era thing for the best moment for me. Okay. Uh, best individual performance. Do you have one that sticks out? Ooh. Hmm. So you got Lonnie Phelps. I mean, you could go with Jalen Daniels in literally any of the first four games. You basically. could. I think the best for Jalen was the Duke game. So. 19 of 23, 324 yards, four touchdowns, no picks, 11 carries, 89 know, and a touchdown. Against Houston, he just ran he all over. He was really him. good. He just ran all over. But he still, he only, had, he only had 34 less rushing yards against Duke, and he had... Almost 200 more passing yards, <laughs> but combined both games he had 10 touchdowns, no interceptions. Yeah, so he's I mean, I you know you can give a little shout out to Jason Bean for what he did against TCU 100%. in one half. Yes, right? and like coming in the Oklahoma State like game. that, you were feeling pretty deflated at that point at half with no with Jalen Daniels out. Mm-hmm. Jason Bean comes in and he just is slinging. That honestly, it. might be the answer. Slinging but it. There were enough missed plays there that maybe I wouldn't. I, there yeah. were enough good Mason Fairchild or Jared Casey games put on there. The OU one comes to mind for Fairchild, yep. but maybe not enough. Lawrence for the Arnold had a great highlight. Game yeah, Lawrence Arnold had OU. Also. OU um, Luke Graham and Lawrence Arnold both against Arkansas. I think Jeremy Robinson against Oklahoma State was Devin great. Neal against Oklahoma State. Yeah, Lonnie Phelps a couple yards. games, including Tennessee Tech. Kobe Bryant had a couple games where he had big picks. He also had, the Tech game might have been his best game just in coverage. He had three pass breakups, almost had an interception. Um, Trying to think who else we're missing here. No, I don't know. I, I think the real answer, though, like I, I'd love to get a lo- more Lonnie Phelps or Craig Young or Kobe Bryant games on here, but it's hard with the defense. Um, I think the answer either has to be Devin Neal against Oklahoma State, 
Yep. He had 334 total yards on 38 touches. Either that one or Jalen Daniels versus Duke. Those are the, one of those. Or two maybe Jalen Daniels answer. versus Arkansas. That, actually, yeah. You know what? It could be. You know, I mean, if we, if we narrow it down to the second half. yards? Yeah, okay, wait. I mean, if you put together the second half of Jason Bean with the second half of Jalen Daniels, it is the greatest performance of all time, right? <laughs> You'd be looking at, like, I think at that point it would like be almost 600, 600 yards? passing yards, seven passing touchdowns, eight total touchdowns to one interception with 55 rushing yards if you put those together. So there's your answer. That's pretty good. Needless to say, a great year for Kansas football and a year I think or I hope most Kansas fans will remember very, very fondly, even though you didn't win the bowl game, it's your arrival, right? And and even if in the next couple of years or so, you, maybe you don't get back to bowl games or maybe it ends up being not as successful as you want, like to me, this year should always remain as, as a special year for Kansas. Absolutely. And there were so many weird things that happened along the way too, like Jalen Daniels, the injury saga, but that feels like so long ago. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. That's our KU football season recap. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We're going to take a timeout when we come back. Some more KU basketball audio with Bobby Pettiford. We'll be back after this timeout.